Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is the 9th of February and I have a lot of stuff that I'm very excited to talk about. What else is new? Uh, but we're, we're getting really full into the expansion of the podcast this week. Meaning that the stuff like the uh, the tarot studies that we're going to be doing, which kind of ties into anime in a certain way, the anime, the manga, stuff like that that I've been trying to add in a lot more, we're kind of fully talking about those in inclusion to everything else today. So I'm excited about that. The news this week is actually going to be... It's only a little bit of news, so it's all put into its various segments. Uh, the segments being tarot, manga, comic books... And then TV shows and movies, which includes a bunch of stuff uh, and anime. Uh, so anything, any news will be broken up into those segments. Like, I, And they'll kind of go in that order, uh, starting with Tarot of the Week. We can start with Card of the Week, which is The Fool. We have a lot of information on that. Uh, different anime archetypes and stuff that ties into that. Um, so it's really fun. Uh, and then for Manga, we have a Manga of the Week, which is impossibly, predictably, since I talked about it last week, Witch Watch, uh, which which is strictly digital, which I wish I could collect the hardcover. But anyway, uh, and then we have some manga news. For comic books, we have things that came out this week that I'm going to briefly go over, a lot of which I am pretty excited for. Well, there's like two or three things that I am particularly excited for that I've actually had to hold off on reading because uh, they came out yesterday. Um, but I am really excited to talk about why I'm excited for those. And then uh, we'll, we'll catch up on what came out last week that I read, including the finale to Dark Web. Uh, I'm talking Bloodline, Daughter of Blade, Lazarus Planet, Legends Reborn, DC's Harley Quinn's Romances, DC Power, A Celebration, Purgatory Must Die, number two, and All Against All. I'm catching up on issue one and two because issue three came out this week and I am obsessed with the artist uh, art style, Caspar Wingard. Love it. Uh, and then we'll go into the TV and, new and movies, which we'll start with the news of that uh, and some things that are new and noteworthy. Announcements, of which there is uh, one big kind of DC one. It's not really an announcement, but one kind of big DC thing, one big Marvel thing. It's not strictly MCU, and it just was announced a little bit ago. Uh, we're not talking trailers this week because um, I honestly don't know if there has been any. There probably was, but... At this point, especially for the MCU stuff that's coming out, they're really just re-releasing things in a different order. <laughs> Clips in different orders, you know. Um, and I'm not really into watching every theatrical trailer that they put out because then you're going to watch, I'm going to watch the movie and be like, oh, I've seen this in the trailer 50 times. Anyway, after that, we'll get into anime which we have anime news, and then I'll talk about some stuff that I've been watching, and we'll briefly cover a little bit of The Bad Batch. I'm still behind on that, but I want to talk about some of the stuff that has happened in it so far. So that's how we will end this week's episode. Before all that, in the meantime, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. I do put a new invite link in the bottom of each episode because they expire every so often. Um, so go check that out if you would like to discuss anything that we talk about on the podcast or anything else that is uh, you know, comic book TV show, generally geeky related, or just interests of yours, like art and crafts and things like that, it's also totally cool to talk about and share things with. So join the Discord, and we can all be dorks together. Uh, you can find me most easily on social media, uh, 
at Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics because I am Anna and I have lots of comics. Um, I don't update it too much, so you're definitely not going to be spammed with stuff. I mostly just post uh, stories of my cats and my food <laughs> and my uh, collections that I have of things. Uh, you can find my updates for the podcast, which I'm trying to be more diligent about posting on Twitter. The Twitter is Savage She Geek because Sensational was too long. It's a She Hulk reference. Um, I hope that was. I hope it's clear to people that that's a She Hulk reference. <laughs> My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Um, I am still working on. I'm constantly really working on fixing it up um, so that it's more user friendly and everything, and has a lot of information that you can go along with for the podcast to follow up on and to read and adjacent to and everything like that. Um, I do have a beginner's guide to comics and manga on there. I'm going to be working on the tarot section. It's up there, but it's pretty much just a blankish page right now. Um, and that'll be, have a lot of the stuff that I post, uh, or that I talk about on the podcast about the weekly tarot studies with this week being the fool, etc. Um, I have reading recommendations of things, graphic novels, manga, comic books, of course, uh, reading orders with commentary for the most part on appearances of, uh, various leading ladies who um, I often reference in my Yancey Street specials and these reading orders I use to study for the Yancey Street specials this month is going to be... Um, it's February, so it's going to be the Valentine's Day special. Don't expect it to be on Valentine's Day. It's going to come out in the month of February. Um, and I'm really excited for it. It is Barda and Scott Free, Big Barda and Mr. Miracle from DC you know, um, the first, the, the fourth, let's say first world, Jack, Jack Miller, uh, the, uh, Jack Kirby's fourth world. I'm mixing up too many creators names in my head right now. Um, but yes, very exciting. She was the first reading list that I started, um, before I even started putting them on my website, I started it for myself. So that's really exciting that I'm finally being able to utilize all of this information that I know. And I'm constantly looking up and learning about Barda. Um, and I guess yeah, Scott too, yeah. But they indisputably have the best relationship in comic books. For last year's Valentine's Day special, I did the most toxic relationships in comic books because, let's be honest, there's a lot more of that than good relationships. Uh, and so this, I have to balance it out now with the indisputably best relationship in all of comic books. So there we go. Um, you can also find some pre-2021 stuff that I used to write just strictly as a blog. Uh, you can find that all on the website kind of in the archive before I start from before I started the podcast. I do post also my podcast notes, which are pretty much just each episode in written format. Um, I post all of those on my blog as well um, as I am posting each week's episode and I link it there. And that's even if you want to read the podcast, read along with it instead of listening, whatever you write, whatever you want to do with that, reference it if you don't understand what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, for any of that or for those who are hearing impaired so everybody can keep up with the events of the podcast if they would like to. Um, and then links, you can also find on the website links to absolutely everywhere you can listen to the podcast, which I believe at this point is all podcast hosting apps and sites. And also YouTube, which is all in one playlist if that's easier for you. Um, I also post action figure review videos. Um, I'm catching up. Oh, I have mostly caught up on everything that I was behind on posting. I just have the Chibi Sailor Moon video to post still, which 
I'm sure at some point in life I will get to. Um, but some highlights are like uh, the crow. There's that new the crow figure. Uh, the Haslab Galactus is up there finally. Um, Sailor Moon Eternal. Uh, the Harley Quinn from Hush. You know, some really fun stuff. The best way to support the podcast, if you don't want to donate, which I have plenty of ways optional on the website and in the links in the description to do so, um, would be to share and rate the podcast wherever it is that you listen to it and across social media. Um, the best way to get the community that I am hoping to kind of grow here is to share it with people. So I personally am absolutely terrible at talking about my own podcast in public or or even even on the internet um so help me with that if you are able to that didn't really sound like a very good uh call to action but yes uh share the podcast rate it and that will support the podcast better than financial probably because then we'll start growing our community and we can actually have a place where we can uh, talk about the things that we love and get sweaty together as I mentioned in the beginning, we are starting actually this week with the tarot studies, um, of which we're going to start with uh, the card of the week. Well, it really is only the card of the week. This week is the Fool number zero. Now, remember from last week, we talked about the major arcana, how there are 22 cards numbered from zero to 21 um, that kind of capture various uh, undeniable human archetypes and truths about consciousness and humanity and the world and nature and things like that. Um, number zero, the technically first card of the um, major arcana is the fool. So that's what we're going to discuss and study on this week's episode for tarot. Now, one thing that I don't know if I particularly clarified in the previous episode about reading the cards, we'll cover it now, you can read them upright or you can read them reverse, meaning when you shuffle the deck of cards, if the back side of the cards is the same upright and reversed, that's how you know if a deck is meant to be read um, just upright or if it can be read reverse as well. That's that That shows the intention of the creators. If it's if it's something, if it's an image on the back of the card, um, back of the cards that is only makes sense upright, then you read those upright. And that's not a deck that was meant to be used up, uh, upside down because obviously on the back side, you can tell if it's an upside down or upright card. So if it is a reversible back of the card, the intention of the creator of the deck was that you, um, are able to read the cards reversed as well as upright. Now reversed is pretty clear. I think it, it uh, is pretty much what it is. <laughs> it's the reverse, more or less, of what the um, upright meaning of the card is. For example, with the fool, the upright meaning is beginnings, intent. Uh, sorry, beginnings, innocence, spontaneity, and a free spirit. Things like that. And the reverse meaning, on the other hand, is holding back, recklessness, and risk taking. So you can see how those are kind of contrary to one another. That's what it means when you um, read a reverse card. So that means that you can kind of shuffle them however you want. It doesn't matter. They can get flipped around whichever direction. And however you pull the card off the deck and you flip it over and you look at it, if it's a reverse, then that's, you know, obviously a reverse draw versus upright. Now to give a short preview of how we're going to talk about the card and study it this week, we're going to talk the description, the meanings, the symbols, the variations of the card across different decks and uh, kind of history. The other names is more the historical way of um 
talking about the cards, and then we'll actually have a little bit of pop culture to talk about as well regarding the card, The Fool. So to begin with the description, in front of me I have this almost 430-some-odd page uh, tome from Bridget Esselman, the founder of Biddy Tarot. I, I like to have things in paperback rather than digital, if at all possible. I know it's not very green of me. Um, but this was something I was looking at the Biddy Tarot website for a long time. They have a lot of good uh, tarot resources. Um, and I wanted to have something paper, so this is what I bought. It's called The Ultimate Guide to Tarot Card Meanings. It's very basic. Um, I'm sorry, it's... It's, it's really not basic. I said the wrong thing. It's very in-depth. <laughs> um, there I go, reversing what I'm talking about. Um, but in each card, all through the tarot deck, not just the major or minor arcana or anything like that, it's every tarot card. Um, the sections of the book, it comes with keywords, quotes, description of the card, and then it comes with uh, the, the general tarot card, upright meaning, and then it has the meanings in regards to career, work, and finances, to personality types, to relationships and love, and to p spirituality. It also has journaling prompts, suggested card combinations, which is something that is always a little bit beyond me. Uh, and then it has the reversed card meanings as well, as well as the reversed card suggestions, uh, combination suggestions. So it's extremely in-depth. Um, it has all of the information pretty much that you would want to know about this, aside from, like, possibly historical details, which is what I'm kind of filling you in on now, uh, and also with the last episode, which was a lot more gener general uh, with the tarot history, okay? So, starting with the, the physical description of what is happening in the image of the card from the Bridget Esselman Tarot Card Meanings book. The Fool is numbered zero, the number of unlimited potential, and so does not have a specific place in the sequence of tarot cards. The Fool can be placed either at the beginning of the Major Arcana or at the end. The Major Arcana is often considered the Fool's journey through life, and as such, he is ever-present and therefore needs no number. One thing I need to point out before I continue is that this book does use gendered terms. That is not strictly necessary in the decks, no matter what the card is. On the Fool Tarot card, a young man stands on the edge of a cliff without a care in the world as he sets out on a new adventure. He is gazing upwards towards the sky and the universe and is seemingly unaware that he is about to step off a precipice into the unknown. Over his shoulder rests a modest knapsack containing everything he needs, which isn't much, let's say he's a minimalist. The white dog in his left hand... Sorry, the white rose in his left hand represents his purity and innocence. At his feet is a small white dog, representing loyalty and protection that encourages him to charge forward and learn the lessons he came to learn. The mountains behind the fool symbolize the challenges yet to come. They are forever present, but the fool doesn't care about them right now. He is more focused on starting his expedition. Now, going through my own notes about the card as I was prepping for this podcast, there's a few things. If you're into this kind of stuff, the element that the Fool card is associated with is air. The astrological um, alignment, I guess, is Uranus or Uranus. The zodiac is Aquarius. Um, and then if you're doing an oracle reading for the Fool, which is a whole other way of reading tarot cards, uh, the meaning is spread your wings and fly. 
The card that I have in my own notes is from the Modern Witch Tarot deck, which we talked about last week as part of our deck of the month, so that is fairly appropriate. Um, there's a few things that I wanted to point out that were not necessarily in that Bridget Esselman description. Uh, the background of the card is traditionally yellow, which stands for energy and creativity. Her gaze in this card, uh, the, the modern witch is a female character. Her gaze is towards the sky and towards the universe and the possibilities ahead of her. The sun in the upper right-hand corner of the card symbolizes, of course, life energy, clarity, and confidence. She wears flowers on her hair as a crown, which symbolize innocence. Her knapsack is more of a backpack, but it is still a modest white bag, and that is all she needs. The city represents challenges yet to come, which she is currently unbothered by. Now, a lot of the meanings kind of have dual meanings. You can choose... Honestly, because the Fool is such a dynamic card, um, you can choose to read it in a more positive or negative light, and that kind of goes in with the reverse of the card. However, um, there's still, even for the upright reading of the card, there is still a lot of duality uh, that I found in looking through the meanings. Um, she doesn't know what is lies ahead, but she has left the life of the city behind. She fully trusts her instincts to carry her beyond the ordinary. She is taking a leap of faith off the cliff right ahead of her. She has headphones in, so she's completely unaware of what her surroundings. That could be a positive or a negative. Taking a leap of faith or walking into the unknown could be seen as both positive or negative. The dog standing for loyalty and protection, but also caution and a warning of the cliff, but at the same time urging her forward. That's really your choice in reading the card. Do you believe the dog symbolizes for what you're referencing here? For you personally, does the dog symbolize that urging you forward or that warning of that cliff to be aware of? It's just like the zero of the card's number has the potential for being the beginning and the ending. How does it read for you? You know, the, the zero shows so much duality. The cliff signifies danger and adventure. The dog is a warning and a symbol of loyalty and encouragement of the journey. Her gaze is upwards at the sky, looking towards the future and not paying attention to where she's actually headed. The city is far in her past and symbolizes struggles of the future. She's taking a leap of faith, a walk of it, a walk off a ledge into the unknown. The positive and the negative for you at the card reader, the interpreter, is all about perspective. And that's something that I think is really cool, genuinely cool about the Fool card. Now, I did mention uh, when we first started talking about tarot in the podcast a few weeks ago that I would be using Natasha Iglesias' anime tarot to really follow and thoroughly explain in case there wasn't any, uh, in, the, in case there was not enough clarity, what the card's meanings are, because this is the most solid teaching device I have found about it. Um, each card is, each face card and each card of the major arcana is given an anime archetype, um, and the various symbols and meanings of that archetype connect and correlate directly to that card's meanings, and that's a really fun way to learn it, in my opinion. And there's even examples of characters who fit those archetypes. So starting, uh, it's page three, page two and three of the book, if you have the little anime tarot guidebook. The, the card zero is the fool, of course, and what the fool stands for in anime is this shujo heroine. Um, the 
examples that they are given for the characters include uh, Nanami Momozono from Kamasama Kiss, from Wolf Girl and Black Prince, Erika Shinohara, from Fruits Basket, Toru Honda. I love her. That's such a good uh, Fruits Basket. So good. From Monthly Girls, Naz- Nozaki-kun. i sorry about that one. It represents Chiyo Sakura. So that's a really fun, um, if you're familiar with those, I'm sure you will understand these. So we'll start with her little description she gives. The fool is starting a new adventure on the path towards enlightenment. Taking a leap of faith, they set out on their journey with heartfelt abandon. The fool may not know where they're going or what awaits them on their path, but that doesn't stop them from fearlessly leaping into the unknown with enthusiastic idealism. The fool's analog in anime is the shujo heroine, usually a young woman, a high school student more usual than not. She shares the fool's naive, enthusiastic innocence. Usually clumsy, idealistic, and sweet, the shujo heroine stumbles onto adventure and commits to seeing it through, usually with newly made friends along the way. There are so many anime characters that come to mind immediately based on that description, and that is a really solid all of those characters do accurately represent the Fool card in anime, so that's really awesome. Maybe I'm just a huge dork, but I think that's an excellent teaching tool um, for tarot. I haven't really actually talked about what the Fool card um, is really telling you. I'm talking about what it symbolizes and, and everything, but not really what it's telling you. So to do that, we'll read the Modern Witch Instruction Guide, since that is our deck of the month. It says, don't be afraid to take that leap of faith. Now is the time to, Now is t- the time for you to start your journey. Because you're ready, be spontaneous and let your wild wildness run free. Don't look back in fear. Look ahead and up to the sky and sun and let your instincts guide you. You got this. So that's um, a, a general reading, what the reading of the fool would be. Some of the variations that you will find on the fool card, because most of them, of course, are... Um, based off of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, um, but you'll find, which is a traditionally male character based off of the Tarot de Marseillais, which is another uh, male character on that corresponding Fool card. Um, There are some variations. Of course, like with the Modern Witch deck, there is male versus female. With the anime Tarot is obviously a female Fool, the Shujo heroine. Historically, the Fool card is a character um, who looks very much jester-like in some way or another. The last variation that I want to add to that is the Pagan Cat's Tarot, uh, which I actually have as a miniature deck, and I completely love it. It's so fun to use. It's so easy to shuffle because if it's in my hands, so much easier than full-size tarot cards. And they are reversible. They have uh, mirrored images on the back. But the Fool card, of course, the card zero, um, I'll kind of describe to you a little bit since the booklet it comes with doesn't actually have description. It just has what it's... Uh, basic meanings are pretty much. Um, and so what you have on the fool card is it's a kitten on a, uh, it's, it's a kitten on a cliff edge kind of. He's following out, he's chasing after a butterfly. Um, he's got two different colored eyes. I don't think that really means too much except for possibly the duality of the card. Who knows? You can always assume whatever you want. You can see there are some mountains or something possibly forest in the background. Uh, The sun, of course, is up in the sky. And then the kitten, there's a little thought bubble and the kitten is thinking about 
sitting on a nice cushy pillow with a bowl of milk next to him. So he's dreaming about um, what he wants out of life, it seems, and chasing after this butterfly, literally, um, as he kind of goes off into the unknown. (laughs) I think that's adorable. I love this deck. I did a little research on the other names of the card, and pretty much what it comes down to is things like um, Madman, Beggar, Idiot, stuff like that. Idiot isn't really one that I actually saw. I made that up. Um, but those Madman and Beggar come from um, the Tarot de Marseille, which is it's called Le Mat uh, in the Tarot de Marseille and Il Mato in... Uh, which I'm sure sounded stupid to have me say, uh, in most Italian language decks is what um, the traditional term for it is, and that is madman or beggar. I do want to add also that there is a very large difference um, in the kind of, let's say, the way to read the cards um, versus a way to play with the cards. There's a lot of European card games that um, kind of assign value, numerical value to the tarot cards, and then you play with someone or possibly with multiple people, um, and there is a winner in the end. It's very different to the way of reading the cards, I guess, that um, we're kind of talking about here. So to wrap this up, we'll talk about a little bit of the t- the fool in pop culture. There's a couple of quotes from the Biddy Tarot book that I have from by Bridget Esselmont. Um, before I read these first two, this is a little bit of... Um, the, the Biddy Tarot site is great, but it is very... Um, normative, (laughs) Um, you know, heteronormative, gender normative, um, and very Western cultural normative, I kind of want to say. So I can't really say if these first two quotes are coming exactly from where it says, but I'm going to read them the way the book says. It says, uh, there are two mistakes one can make along the road to truth, not going all the way and not starting. And it attributes that to Buddha. And then the second quote is, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step from Lao Tzu. And the third quote is actually from Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And his quote is, the knack of flying is learning how to throw yourself at the ground and miss. I also found a quote from Carl Jung, which is, if one does not understand a person, one tends to regard them as a fool. And a anime manga related uh, pop culture reference from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. There is at one point, I don't know what season my husband watches it. I do not. Uh, It's a bit much for me, I know, which is kind of hypocritical, but anyway. Uh, There is apparently a dog named Iggy, which has a stand, which is like a a superpower, let's say. I know that much. Uh, And that is named after the fool, which is a power to control sand. I'm sure there's more to it than that. But um, that is his his stand. His power is called the fool, which is kind of fun. Um, I was really disappointed, honestly, um, to Marvel Tarot is a 2007 single issue that was released. Um, I imagine it exists in paperback. I've never seen a paperback copy of it. Um, I've only been able to find it digitally. But uh, Marvel Tarot does go through a lot of the major arcana and a few of the face cards of the minor arcana and assign them to various Marvel characters, which is super cool. A lot of the time, it makes a lot of sense. Some of the time, it's a little off. It was made in 2007, and I feel like society as a whole has kind of like uh, smartened up a little bit since then. (laughs) Um, 
in general, I'm just going to say in general, not all. <laughs> um, but I was really disappointed, actually, to go back and reference that and find that the Fool is the only card that they have in that uh, single issue of Marvel Tarot, which is, it's no one. It has no face. Um, which I read the whole page about it. I guess it's probably um, himself. I, I don't recall, to be honest. I don't really care who the writer it's basically the Marvel Tarot issue is basically some dude's journal, um, his grimoire kind of, I guess, and he goes through all the tarot cards and the various like he's, I don't know why or the purpose of it, but they just wanted to put this thing out. I feel like I could update it or help them update it really, really well. God, so many people could. Um, point being, they should update it. But anyway, I think it's, I think the fool is supposed to be taken as the guy whose journal it is. Um, because he keeps talking about how every time he goes back to it, it's like, it's familiar, but he has no idea who it could be. I think it's him. I don't know. It was a little disappointing that it wasn't something that was straightforward. It's kind of take it as you will. And the last thing that I found here is from Reddit. There we go. It is a panel. Um, I'll link it in the podcast notes. It's a panel from, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, not a panel, but a comic strip from Calvin and Hobbes. Um, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. And it's them going through the snow and Calvin says, wow, it really snowed last night. Isn't that wonderful? And Hobbes says, everything familiar has disappeared. The world looks brand new. Calvin, a new year, a fresh, clean start. Hobbes, it's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on. A day full of possibilities. It's a magical world, Hobbes, old buddy. Let's go exploring. And it just ends with them kind of going off and down a hill on their, on their sled in the snow off you know off the panel um very much describes visually uh what the card the fool stands for it's not an idiot it's not some dumb person it's not somebody to laugh at it is just somebody who has that very you know in general someone who has that very like light personality um positive thinking and stuff you know bad things can happen to them but they kind of will take stuff in stride um and try to see the light of it the Shujo her heroine in anime. Perfect description of the fool. And that leads us into our manga segment. Our manga of the week, as I mentioned, we'll talk manga news after this. Manga of the week is Witch Watch, which is written and illustrated by Kenta Shinohara. Um, I very, very much like this one. I've been reading it on the Shonen app. It is published by Viz Media. However, it is only collected digitally, both in Japanese and English, as far as I can tell. Very disappointed in that. I would love to have copies of this. Um, I believe it is in the 90s, 95, something like that. Um, and I am somewhere in the 50s right now, so I will catch up the chapters on the Shonen app uh, before too long. I ended up having a couple of other things that I read, uh, like, you know, comics that I needed to catch up on. So I haven't, I haven't fully caught up with Witch Watch yet, but I adore it. Uh, the, the author, Kento Shinobara, sorry, Shinohara, um, they also created Sket Dance, which is still currently going, I believe, and the, uh, Astra Lost in Space, which is one that I know I have watched, uh, on Crunchyroll, so that's pretty cool. I have a little bit of a, um... A, a quote here from, I believe, the Anime News Network uh, website. It says, Kento Shinohara revealed that it takes five days to draw the characters in Witch Watch, while the storyboards take two and a half days. In January 2023, Shino 
Nahara stated on Twitter that Witch Watch would probably be his last weekly serial. He explained that he is, quote, physically unable to do one, even if he wanted to. In addition, the February 6th, 2023 chapter of the manga will be a crossover with Shinohara's previous weekly Shonen Jump series, Sket Dance. Okay, so Sket Dance is over, and now, okay, I see. So that's cool. Um, I have no idea what Sket Dance is about. I did not honestly look it up, but I'm pretty sure it is a high school-based thing, <laughs> um, which is a very common setting in manga and anime. And no, this one has not been made into an anime. I don't know if it will be, but seeing as Astro Lost in Space was made into an anime, I would be thrilled if Witch Watch was as well. Um, I have the best way to describe it I found comes from the professional descriptions from very, from like the, I think this one was from the Shonen website or something. I'm honestly not sure. I think it was Viz actually. It's from the Viz website. It says the series focuses on Nico Waka, sorry, Nico Wakatsuki. Wakasuki, a teenage witch who, after completing her magical training, moves into a house with her childhood friend Morihito Otogi, a human-looking ogre. Due to their due to their family's ancestral history, Morihito is become is to become Nico's familiar and protect her. Nico also hopes this will help them become a couple, as he is her longtime crush. As the story progresses, Nico and Morihito find themselves forced to deal with various supernatural and legendary beings they encounter, while also trying to solve all the unpredictable problems Nico's magic causes in their daily lives. Very good description, so I just went with that. Um, the characters in the manga, obviously the main character, the witch who is being watched, uh, as in protected, not like stalked, at least not that I know of yet, uh, is Nico Wakasuki. She is a very powerful witch. Um, her mother is also a witch, of course, and she has seer abilities, so she gets these... Um, messages. It's a really funny. They explain how it happens. It's actually quite hilarious. Uh, but she gets these messages from beyond, basically. And they're like premonitions about her daughter's life. And um, so they've always known that she was going to be a very powerful witch. She's actually called the Witch of Thousands, which she's trying to keep quiet because it's like a big deal. Um, and basically what that means is in their world, witches usually only have like a handful or a dozen uh, spells that they are able to cast. And Nico, however, is able to cast pretty much as many as she wants, as long as she knows what the spell is, um, or how to cast the spell. So she is called the Witch of Thousands, because she has practically unlimited, or thousands of access to spells. Access to thousands of spells. You know what I mean. Um, she's a very cute character. I think her hair, based on a couple of the color panels that happened at the beginning or the end of the issues, or the chapters, um, her hair is supposed to be like a kind of peachy tone, um, so that's pretty cool. I, I love it. <laughs> I know it's like a big thing that they've always done, but anime hair that's like weird colors, I don't know. I just love that. So at one point, her mother finds out that Nico is supposed to have this like great dark thing happen to her in her life, and she needs to stop it, but they don't know what it is. So uh, their family friends, who are these ogres, now to explain ogres really quick, ogres are the descendants of familiars who, which is familiars who gained enough power that they gave themselves human bodies and mated with other witch familiars who had done the same. So ogres are the offspring of, or the, um, the descendants of a lion, or no, it was a tiger familiar who became human and a bull familiar who became human. Um, and they, 
they had children and those became what is known as ogres. They are completely human in appearance, but they have like extra strength and stuff. Okay, so Nico's family learned that she has this great dark destiny that's going to befall her and they need to protect her. So they get uh, Morihito, who is the son of their friendly family of ogres, uh, to be her familiar. Cool. She calls him Moi, I'm pretty sure is how you say it, because the the explanation is when she was a kid, she couldn't say Morihito, she would say Moihito, because she couldn't do the R, which I love, because I think I just mentioned it, um, like in the last episode that I had speech classes as a kid. I haven't thought about that in so long, it randomly came back into my memory recently, and it keeps coming up and stuff like this. Uh, so she couldn't say the R, so instead of Morihito, she would say Moihito, right? And so she calls him Moi. That's, I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced in my head, based on all of the explanation. He is the ogre, he has dark hair, um, he is a extremely solemn, and not solemn, but like laid back, like controlled dude. He studied the, the, the ogre, um, fighting, which I, I didn't write down the name of it, but he said he studied the ogre fighting and like self-control and everything. So he's like very much a Zen in that kind of sense guy. And so Nico can't tell if he actually has a crush on her, if he's just trying to protect her because he's her familiar. It's great. So she actually ends up with a number of familiars, uh, throughout the series because she keeps kind of gathering these like lost kids kind of, uh, the next one that shows up is, and I apologize in advance, Kanshi Kazamatsuri. I think he is a Tengu who is, um, I'm, I honestly can't remember for the life of me what the, what the story of the Tengu is in Japanese culture, but it's the, it's the ones with the mask with the very long nose, which feels like I, I don't know, it felt weird to say that way, but, uh, that's, that's what he's supposed to be. Um, and he also becomes a familiar, he's not romantically interested in her at all. None of these other characters are. And then we get the werewolf in the picture who is Keigo Megami or Megami. Um, he's a cool dude, but the, the the funny thing about his werewolf abilities is that his werewolf self is a completely different person. Um, so they like will refer when, when one or the other is like out, you know, they'll refer to each other as basically different people. Um, and the way that he is triggered to become a werewolf is just seeing anything crescent shaped, <laughs> like a crescent moon or a croissant or a necklace or a picture of a crescent moon, you know, anything like that will have him turn into the werewolf side of him, which the name I didn't get written down here, but there we go. And then we have the last one, her last familiar who just showed up where I am in this story is uh, a vampire who again is very different. The vampire is named Miharu Kiri. Miharu Kiryu, Kiryu, I think that's how that is. Uh, it's this funny little like Victorian spooky child is basically what this kid is, um, but he's got like curly white hair, <laughs> Victorian style. I don't know. It's very funny. Um, but they don't suck blood. They like they'll touch you if they touch you like flesh on flesh. They can like absorb your mana basically, your like life energy, and so he is able to take that from the werewolf, the tengu, and the ogre a lot because they are supernatural creatures and they have a lot of that. So it works out perfectly. That's why he moves in with them. It's 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 just this hilarious thing. And so they're all here living with Nico to watch over her and make sure that she doesn't get into trouble, which she does all the time. Uh, and it's great. Uh, you can only find it on the Shonen app published by Viz Media, and you can only collect it digitally. But I highly recommend it. 
Moving into manga news, um, a couple of things that I searched out. I'm trying to utilize the uh, manga or the anime, sorry, <laughs> anime news network website a lot because they actually do have a lot of resources and information there. Um, so I'm trying to utilize them a lot. Kubo Won't Let Me Be Invisible is a manga that I am meaning to start. It's also on the Shonen app, the Shonen Jump app. It's on my want to read list. Um, that one is actually, I just felt like I saw this was a thing, so I'll mention it here. It is entering its final arc on February 9th, which, hey, is today. So if you're listening to this, it has entered its final arc. Something I thought was really cool was that six manga volumes ranked on the New York Times monthly graphic books and manga bestseller list this February, or this early February. The manga on this month's list includes on... Uh, slot number five, Tatsuki Fujimoto's Chainsaw Man, Volume One. Slot number nine, Naoya Matsumoto's Kaiju Number Eight, Volume Five. On um, number ten is Chainsaw Man Number Two, Volume Two. I keep saying number; it's a comic thing. Uh, number twelve, Tatsuya Endo's Spy Family, Volume One. Number 13, Chainsaw Man Volume 3. Number 15, Jujutsu Kaisen. Oh yeah, Gage Akutami's Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 18. One of the things that's kind of funny about that is you can look back from the January rankings where you can see that Chainsaw Man Volume 3 was ranking number 3. So people are in the first three volumes of that because you can see now number 3 is ranking number 13. And you have numbers one and two are also really popular. So you can see that it's getting it's gaining a lot more popularity because of the anime just ended. Uh, and then it says that Spy Family's first volume in January ranked at 11. And now the first volume is ranked at number 12. So people have kind of caught up with volume one. Uh, the 18th volume of Jujutsu Kaisen... Um, has ranked at number 12 and now the 18th is at 15. So you can see people have reached up and now Chainsaw Man was ranked, was ranked at 14 and now uh, is ranked at 10. So you can see kind of how things are getting more popular. People are, the whole society as a whole is kind of reading them all together. I think it's very fun. And I'm glad that manga and anime are becoming a lot more relevant in pop culture again. Um, why why pretend that we don't like things, right? It's <laughs> uh graphic novel and omnibus releases this week because they do release, I believe, on the seventh for the mangas and single issues and things like that. Um chapters, chapters, not issues. Ugh, stupid comic books. <laughs> uh Dark Horse is releasing Mob Cycle 100, graphic novel number 10, which is graphic novel being the collected like it's usually like five or six chapters right uh from viz they are releasing my special one graphic novel number one since this is the only number one that i kind of came across in this little list i was looking at i wanted to talk a little bit about it it's from the serialization that's being published in besatsu margaret uh which i guess is a magazine for manga it is by momoko koda and its description is sahoko tell 
tells off the nation's top idol, Kucha, in her family's restaurant for assuming that she's his fan. Instead of being cowed by his mistake, Kucha comes comes in the following day with albums and VIP tickets to Like Legend's next concert. Can Sahoko withstand his shining onslaught to charm her? It sounds really fun. It sounds cute. It's a nice little uh, romance uh, slice of life type situation with idols, because idols are a big thing in manga and anime. Also coming from Viz uh, is My Hero Academia Graphic Novel Volume 33 and my, uh, no, Snow White with the Red Hair Volume 23. From Kodansha, they have Orient Volume 13, Vampire Dormitory Volume 9, and then digitally is a couple of Cuckoos Volume 9, which maybe I should read that because that was a really cute show. And they also have the Omnibus, they're re-releasing the Omnibus collection of Seven Deadly Sins Omnibus number 8. And the Wotakoi Love is Hard for Taku complete box set has also officially been released as of this Tuesday. Uh, there is a digital um, manga publisher called J Novel Club. They publish Ascendance of a Bookworm, and they have put out this week Ascendance of a Bookworm Part 2, Volume 7, digitally. And finally, The Rising of the Shield Hero, Volume 20, was released from One Piece, spelt one P-E-A-C-E. If you have any, um, you know, mangas or light novels or things like that that you want me to start talking about or look into for you or anything like that, I would love to. So please join the Discord and let me know. And that leads us into our comic book segment, which we're going to talk what is new this week and what were the recent, like, reads and things and and catching up with the events at the Big Two and whatnot. So starting off with what came out this week, uh, Batman 132 by Chip Zarsky. Actually, I think these are all going to be, just so you know, alphabetical. So starting with Batman 132 by Chip Zartsky, I believe this issue might have had some kind of reunion with him and Selina. I'm not sure, because I think she's also supposed to be in jail in her own series. Not not sure what's going on with that. But more importantly, Bishop War College number 1 from Marvel by Jay Holtham and Sean Damien Hill. Here's what it says. You've got Armor, Surge, Cam Long, Aura Charles, Amass, and... These are his students. Their course objective, get strong. Defend the island, keep mutankind safe. Their first lesson, how to fail. And we'll do it in spectacular Marvel fashion. What does any of that have to do with an all-black X-Men team? What even is this book? I don't know, but the editor clearly had fun writing that. We also have from Gypsarski, again, Daredevil number 8, which I am wild behind on and probably won't catch up with at this point. We'll see. Gotham City Year One Number Five by Tom King. Again, haven't been catching up with this one yet, but I plan to at some point in history. That I think is from DC Black Label. Harrower Number One is published by Boom Studios by Justin Jordan and Brom Revel. It says there's nothing to fear in the quaint town of Harrow except. Sorry, Harrow, New York, except that is for the Harrower. The children wish this boogeyman was just an urban legend, but this purveyor of puritanical vengeance, wow, I like that, purveyor of puritanical vengeance, against the unrighteous is very real. Righteous. And there's no escape, because the Harrower seems unkillable and spans generations, always returning. What secrets will Alice Young, a teenage girl obsessed with the Harrower, uncover, and will she be able to escape the pull of her morbid fixation, this 
This deconstruction of the slasher genre is fresh. Oh, that was supposed to be a period there. This deconstruction of the genre is fresh and terrifying. Grounded take is the perfect for fans of, fans of the bone orchard in the closet. Boom. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I started stumbling around too much at the end of that. Lazarus Planet Next Evolution came out Tuesday. It says, What secret does Flatline seek from the heart of Talia Al Ghul's HQ? Can Red Canary, who I have yet to read anything about, I need to catch up on their story. Story, Can Red Canary bring order to an out-of-control city? What secret does the heroic Deadeye hold that who's Deadeye will haunt him forever and enter into a brand new legend with a fantastic debut of Vigil? Wait, we already had Vigil and Harley Quinn. She sucked. Was that not Vigil? Whatever. Covers are by a killer crew of David Marquez, Derek Chu, Crystal Kung, Tyler Kirkham, and Sumit Kumar. From Image Comics, we also have Monarch Number 1, which is the series premiere by Rodney Barnes and Alex Linz. A new tale of terror and high-stakes science fiction hits close to home. Growing up in the city of Compton is tough enough as it is, but as Trayvon has learned all too well... Tray is it really Trayvon or is it Traven? I don't know. There's no is T-R-A-V-O-N. I have no idea. Growing up as an orphan in the city of Compton with the gang members gunting you down every day is even tougher. But all of that is about to change because today is the day that aliens make first contact with Earth and it only spells doom as for life as we know it. Death, devastation, and mayhem. Can a single teenage boy risk the life risk the challenge? Risk, rise to the challenge, geez, and protect his surrogate family and friends, or will he die trying? Sounds interesting. More importantly, though, Poison Ivy number nine. It literally says in the description, it's the issue you've all been waiting for, and damn if they weren't right. <sighs> Marcio Takara is the artist, again, thank God. And G. Willow Wilson is still the writer. She's she's pretty good at this. She's pretty good at this. It says, That's right, ya girl Harley Quinn, doctor, fashionista, heroic, criminal, criminally insane clown, and Poison Ivy's girlfriend has arrived on the West Coast to spend some quality time with her number one squeeze. What sort of wildly le- <laughs> lush, le- 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 leschivis? Leschiv- I cannot say that word. Holy shit. And lavishly ludicrous, okay, they did that on purpose, Madcap Mayhem will the DCU's favorite couple get up to. Featuring the return of series artist Marcio Takara, hell yeah, and an assortment of utterly mouthwatering variants, they are not wrong. Uh, by some of the bet most delectable artists around, from iconic Harley Quinn artist Terry Dodson to incoming Harley Quinn artist Sweeney Boo, as well as Dan Mora, Ryan, Ryan Gonzalez, and Mindy Lee. And Carla Cohen and Jessica Fong. They didn't list those, but those are also two ones. You won't want to miss a single bit of it. We guarantee it. You know, they're probably right. Like, they usually exaggerate in these solicitations, but honestly, they're, they're kind of right this time. Uh, lesser news. Red Goblin number one is spitting out of Venom over at Marvel. And then we have Rest in Peace from Black Caravan, which is an imprint of Scout. Um, Scout in general is kind of lighthearted in general, in general. Uh, Black Caravan is like their slightly darker imprint, as far as I can tell. Uh, it is by Fearless Illustra, I'm so sorry, and Tyler Ham. He has a much easier, easier name. <laughs> Tyler Ham. 
Have you ever been overwhelmed by house guests who won't let you rest in peace? Ghoul has. After a long Halloween night, his monster friends start knocking on his door. He reluctantly allows Dracula in. Then the werewolf, next the mummy, followed by Frankenstein's monster. Finally, when Blob tries to ooze his way through the door, Ghoul loses his cool and kicks them all out into the darkness. But was his decision too hasty? Only when his conscious, in the form of the invisible man, makes him realize that his friends simply wanted to spend more time together, does he see the error of his ways. This sounds awesome. Uh, and I think it's a one-shot, too, so you're not signing up for too much, you know, money. Then at Dark Horse, Space Job, number one of four, might be kind of fun, by David A. Goodman and Alvaro Saraseca. Saraseca, something like that. Uh, after five long years of soul-crushing servitude as a chef's assistant, Danny Sheridan is getting his dream job in space, nice, as first officer aboard the SS George H.W. Bush. Oh my god, no way. That's hilarious. Uh, but on his first day, he finds himself crashing- I can't get over that. SS George H.W. Bush. Oh boy. Uh, but on his first day, he finds himself crashing back to reality. Nothing seems right. The crew is subpar. Something's going on, and First Officer Danny Sheridan is going to get to the bottom of it or die trying. What the shit? I love that description. SS George H.W. Bush. Oh my god. And uh, Two Graves, this is, I'm flipping these because I want to talk about the other one at the end. Two Graves number four is coming from Image. That's a very, um, I'm kind of up in, it's, 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 it's kind of like one you got to interpret a little bit, but it's really cool. It's, it's like a retelling of uh, the Persephone story. So check it out. But the last one here on the list, which is also quite exciting, and I've been seeing a lot of extremely positive reviews about it today. So that's, Excellent news. Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, number one of, I'm pretty sure, three. It says, oh, this is by Al Ewing and Paco Medina. It says, the new Brotherhood. Mars has been destroyed, and now Storm wants revenge. To get it, the new Brotherhood of Arako will batter their way, battle their way through hell to seek the greatest secret of the sinister age. But are they fighting to save the world or end it? And who is the new mutant hero called Ironfire? I don't know. Covers by Lionel Francis Yu, Hernanda Souza, Art Adams, Elena Casagrande, Phil Noto, and Lucas Wernick. Those are literally like a list of some of my favorite artists in comics. That's pretty cool. So I know I've said this before, this is kind of just tagging this on the end here, but a lot of the times I end up picking up comics, um, especially indie comics, because of the artists who are doing variant covers. That's probably not fair to the comics, because that makes it very much, I think, like a popularity game, maybe? Um, but yeah, that's, if, if you want to, if you want to get a 10 out of 10 comic, look for the best, uh, artists, not necessarily covers, but the best artists who are doing the variant covers, because you get these really good artists, like, you know, uh, Elena Costa, I mean, oh god, all, that's, they're all Marvel artists at this point anyway, but, but you'll get a lot of artists who will only do things that they would be a fan of. And so you become a fan of it because it actually is good. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but there you go. For the things that I read this week and the catching up on the various events that have happened for Dark Web, we're going to talk Dark Web finale, which... I believe is actually the finale. Uh, Bloodline, Daughter of Blade, number one. And then for Lazarus Planet, we have Legends Reborn, very briefly. Uh, and then DC's Harley Quinn's Romances. There was one particular story I was a big fan of, so I'll talk about that one the most. 
And then there is DC Power, A Celebration, which I kind of go through all the stories and the characters who were in them. Purgatory Must Die, number two from Dynamite. Why do I love this character so much from the get-go? I don't know, but I do. And then All Against All, number one and two, uh, because Kaspar Wingard will... I will read anything he does art on. He is fantastic. So starting up at Dark Web Finale, um, thank you, Zeb Wells, for not completely dropping the ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have, yeah. Could, it could have, definitely could have gone much worse. Um, but there is a little bit of event timing fail. This is supposed to be happening during Christmas time, which obviously is not the case. Chasm is now calling himself King Chasm. Um, and he's hanging out with Hollow's Eve, of course. Chasm stole the uh, supposed Scythe of Shadows from Madeline, which she popped up with at the end of New Mutants, I think. Um, and with it, he now gets Madeline's throne, apparently, I guess because he's, like, won the power struggle in everybody's eyes. I don't know. Uh, there is a little... A uh, thing between uh, Scott and Jean, where she tells him, "You gotta weigh into this," and she said, and he says, "Not a chance." And you damn right, uh, your time to weigh into this situation was uh, around the time your son was born. You abandoned your family, so you have lost your room to have any words about this. Uh, Zeb Wells does write Madeline like she is kind of just mad all the time, and uh, it keeps her from saying things that make a ton of logical, emotional sense. I don't know. He just can't write women very well, in my opinion. Um... The Chasm army from Limbo, I guess, they're invading New York, and the way that it was drawn really made me think of the sacking of Rome, which we'll talk about. Well, well, it's just really only on my head because of Kunk on Earth, which is what we'll talk about later. Um, the X-Men are the ones to go up against the Insidious Six, which is kind of clever, but also kind of lame. Um, the group of villains spots the what they call the Fallen Queen, who is obviously Maddie, and Hallow says, she wants her sight back. Uh, Chasm calls her poor baby. None of that makes any sense as things that for these characters to be saying or doing. Uh, then Maddie says that she's made too many mistakes over the course of this misadventure, but Chasm has been her favorite. Okay, again. Uh, uh, Maddie took Eddie Brock's memories away, and that's apparently why he's Bedlam. I don't know if we're getting any more explanation than that. Chasm, ha he sends the armies of Limbo then to directly attack Maddie to show her that the army belongs to him now. Uh, Hallow's Eve puts on a wolf mask and turns into a werewolf. Apparently that's what her powers are. Um, she puts on masks and chains into different monsters. I'm sorry, I think that's stupid. <laughs> Plus she only has like a little knapsack. I, it's, it's, it, there's a certain amount of things that readers will accept as illogical and they'll just go with it. This is not one of them. This is too much. <laughs> I, but I am still loving Magic's outfit, so it's good to see her for a couple of panels in this. Um, when Bedlam finishes up his rampage, Alex um, comes up in his Goblin's Prince outfit, Goblin Prince outfit, uh, asking if he's bothering Maddie. Um, and then at some point, Jean says, uh, we got you, Maddie. And she's like, oh, thanks. And they say, of course, Maddie, you're family. Uh, Scott still needs to be the one to say some apologetic shit here. So I'm, I'm still waiting on that one for Scott to do his part in all of this. Um, 
Gold Goblin and Ms. Marvel show up for reasons, I'm sure. Uh, the monsters then attack Maddie, and in the best panel in the book, she powers the fuck up, lets it all out, and just destroys all of them. Uh, she goes back into her classic Goblin Queen look, which I absolutely loved, and the goblins of Limbo all bow down to her. Because, yeah, bitch, no way stealing her knife was gonna make you the king of hell, bitch boy. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, but with his armies against him now, Chasm sends Hal's Eve away to safety, at least we have to assume to safety. Maddie gets her scythe back and goes back into her new outfit, which I admit was a little disappointing. And then it goes and it leaps to springtime. So now it's spring. Chasm lives in limbo in a cell that Maddie tricked the demons into designing as a paradise, so good for him. They're just, they're, it's literally Marvel putting him in a box to use whenever they feel like it, when it becomes convenient. Maddie says she's done with holding grudges, but I'm not. I'm still holding a grudge against Scott, for sure. He has not done a single bit of apologizing, and he needs to do all of the apologizing. Uh, Maddie has redesigned Limbo into being a diplomatic place for the broken, and I can't help but think that Maddie stands for the X-Men's shadow work. If you're aware of what that might mean, like, spiritually, it's basically, like, facing your darkest self and accepting that you've done all these bad things in your life, or, you know, whatever it may be. That's, that's, you know, things that you just try not to think about, but you won't really be your full accepted self inside your brain until you do, you know? That's what Maddie stands for, for me. Uh, she is the darkness that they fear to face, as is Limbo, right? And it's people who live there now, or always have lived there. Uh, she now lives, though, in a Limbo embassy in New York, which wraps up this issue. And I have to just ask for the follow-up. We'll be seeing much more of her now, right? Marvel, she's living in New York City. In a giant limbo embassy. You can't just ignore that now. Moving on. Bloodline Daughter of Blade number one was by Danny Lore. The art was really fantastic. Um, coloring from coloring to transitions to line work. It was incredibly stupendous. Uh, the issue itself was alright. Um, what it kind of wraps up to is that. Uh, whatever her name is. It's not Bloodline. That's her like future hero name. Shoot, whatever her name is, um, basically it turns out that the the bitchy, the new bitchy classmate or whatever is also a vampire slash monster hunter. And then Blade, meanwhile, is also doing his own stuff, um, and he will probably be showing up pretty soon, so that's kind of cool. Lazarus Planet this week in Legends Reborn, we followed Commissioner Montoya as the question, which was the classic kind of question stuff that the question does with the detective noir kind of thing, so that was nice. Really well written, frankly. Uh, then we catch up with Raven and Beast Boy with some pretty not-so-great art, in my opinion. I don't think it worked for me. Um, Trigon took over... Beast Boy and slaughtered a bunch of cops. Raven tried to save these kids who got turned into demons, but then Trigon kills them all when he gets there, uh, but saves the last one because the last one kind of like went crazy. And so he's like, oh, you're, you're going to be my new golden child, as Trigon does. Uh, Nightwing has had a story with a new character who is apparently called City Boy. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but I guess he can see through walls and move through the walls and surfaces, and then he can, like, touch something and see its significance, which is just like that one character, the witch from, I think he's a witch, a warlock, I don't know what they called him, from, uh, 
of Mayfair Witches, I remembered. Mayfair Witches. And the last story in Legends Reborn was Firestorm and what I think was a new partner. And then it ended by revealing that his old one is like hospitalized and decrepit. Um, I think that's what happened there, but I'm not super familiar with the Firestorm. I used to be because I used to watch Legends of Tomorrow and the things that came before that that had Firestorm in it, but I don't remember. Uh, then we have DC's Harley Quinn romances. There's some really fun stories. Obviously, it starts with Harley and Ivy in the animated universe, it seems. You have Batman in a Jack and Molly story. Jack and Molly are just civilians. Don't worry about it. Uh, Supergirl gets drawn by Adriana Mello with Jimmy Olsen. Can't say I'm a fan of that pairing in the slightest. Then you have Constantine with Deadman who takes over somebody's body to have a date or something like that. It was kind of fun. Fire and Ice in a story together as friends uh, talking about love that's not necessarily sexual or romantic. Apollo and Midnighter had a story, as did Kite Man, who witnessed a romance, I guess, romance. But then the one that I cared about was Birds of Prey era Big Barda with Black Canary, Vixen, Zaytana, and Oracle of the wheelchair variety on Galentine's Day. Apparently Diana gathered the girls for Galentine's Day, but it's Harley who's there when they show up. This is by Ivan Cohen and Fico Osio, which I'm sure I said wrong. She, she, as in uh, Harley, asks what everybody's plans for Valentine's Day are. Bardis says to escape. Black, Baron, Black Canary says chili. And Zaytana says she has a club gig in Opal City. That's probably a snazzy place. Harley talks about the shrimp and about how Aquaman would never eat it, trying to see if any of them have dated him, and they admit they all have. Zaytana met him on a cruise ship, and they defeated pirates together. Barda says their combat together was, was more than enough smooching. For Oracle, he had just lost his hand. It was the, you know, <laughs> uh, grunge, I guess. Aquaman. And then Harley says that she can't believe they all fell for the mirrors in another dimension shtick, which is honestly hilarious. Um, if makes them look very stupid. Uh, and then Vixen's story was about him trying to keep up with her. And then Arthur walks up to them in the restaurant, Mara calls him out for it, and Harley escapes from the building. Um, I just thought that was really funny. And then I, I saw this comment on Twitter at this dude who was mad at them for them being Harley and Ivy for being gay, saying that it's out of character and that they had to, quote, break the bones of the characters, unquote, to make them gay. Um, it has long since been established in human society <laughs> It's a known thing that when somebody leaves an abusive relationship, they often fall for the person who, like, quote-unquote saved them, you know? That's literally Harley and Ivy, my man. It is not an, un not an unusual thing, and it is definitely not the breaking of bones of very clear human nature. All the stories of GC Power, a celebration, had intro pages as well as outro character profiles about the characters in each story. So I think that's a definite move in the right direction for getting people to be more interested in these characters because nobody knows who Amazing Man is. I don't know, maybe people do, but I didn't. But then you have the character profile at the end, and now I do, right? Okay, there we go. So the stories revolved around Amazing Man, Black Lightning, uh, and his daughter is actually Nubia and Bumblebee, in which Mal Duncan, the partner of Karen, uh, no, not Karen, yeah, Karen, right? Cow, 
I think it's Karen, is taken by Monsieur Mala to conduct a symphony for him. Uh, John Stewart Green Lantern story, Aquaman and Kid Flash story being the Jackson and Wally variety, Cyborg story, and apparently he is getting a Dawn of DC series, so they say here, Vixen and Batwing story, which is Mari and Luke uh, Fox, not Mari Fox, but Mari, Luke Fox, uh, and then you have the Batman story from Batman Black and White by John Ridley and Olivia Coppell covering Jace Fox. Then there is Joel Mullen, Green Lantern, a snippet from Far Sector number five. And they said, they announced in the end that Nubia Real One by L.L. McKinley is getting a sequel. So that's pretty cool. I really enjoyed that graphic novel. Um, I think it's really great for normalization of... Um, comics focusing on more than just your average straight white male characters. It really is the opposite of all of that. <laughs> and frankly, it was written quite well, too, so I really enjoyed it. And the art was stupendous. I really, again, I just really enjoyed it. Um, moving on to Purgatory Must Die, number two. The plot being the gods want Purgatory dead because they're, like, mad. I'm pretty sure is what the story is. Um, I really love her character. This is only the second issue of her I have ever read being number two of the series. But I already love it so much. I'm, I'm not sure why. I think it's just because she's just chaos embodied. Not chaos in the, like, dynamite comics way, because I know that's a whole other thing. Um... Chaos, like human nature, <laughs> chaos embodied. But anyway, this is by Ray Fox and Alvaro Saraseca, who is doing a killer job on the art for this one. The intended hunters for Purgatory include Evil Ernie, who I guess at some point ended up back at Dynamite. He was at Coffin Comics. The most relevant thing in my world that Evil Ernie has ever done uh, was the creation of Lady Death, who is uh, pretty cool herself. Then we have Lilith, who is Vampirella's mother. Vampirella herself, who I'm not entirely sure is actually on Team Kill Purgatory. And then there's the Sacred Six, who are actually... The Sacred Four now, because the other two were Lilith and Vampirella, uh, and they are Draculina, Chastity, Pantha, and Nyx, who are all really cool characters. Honestly, except for Chastity, I don't really care about that, but Draculina, Pantha, and Nyx are pretty cool characters. Uh, I think Chastity, now that she's the, the teenage girl, I think that's where things landed with her. I think that's better, but still... Um, it was kind of convoluted. Anyway, um, they all end up killing Purgatory in this issue, all of them. So, obviously, they were all fake Purgatories. <laughs> she did the magic thing to make people look like her and talk like her and act like her. And they are the ones who all got killed. And she is fine because her companion has taken her to a safe haven, the Garden of Eden. Which I'm super into. Give me more of this weird stuff. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening, but I love it. And that leaves us with All Against All Issues 1 and 2, which I am reading specifically, well, I picked up specifically for the Kaskbar Wingard art, but turned out to be fucking fantastic. Oh my god, this is so good. I can't wait to read issue 3. Um... Basically, these other species creatures who inhabit whatever species' bodies they can find arrive on Earth. We've already destroyed the planet in its entirety, but we did leave some crates of genetic information, you know, like in case there were survivors who could rebuild the Earth, right? So these aliens or other species creatures or whatever, they use that to grow various biomes in space to hopefully find a better body to live in, because, right, they inhabit 
they inhabit whatever species they can, pretty much. They're looking for a better body, because the ones that they're in now are kind of meh. Years down the line, I think it's like 20 years later, it has discovered that the director of this project had uh, kind of grown a human child as well, and added him to the carnivore biome. He, now 20 years down the line, has grown. <laughs> in issue two, the general of the army discovers that this human is still alive, and they go to find him in the biome. Basically, the reason that the director hid him is because he knew that this was the perfect vessel for their um, bot brains, I guess, to basically take over. He didn't want that to happen, and so he hid the child and said that he died, uh, many, many years ago in order to avoid that from happening. So now that they've learned the child is alive, they go to find him in the biome. However, he's already quite a few steps ahead of them, having ripped up the body of one of the previous soldiers who came in looking for him and stabbed the pieces on all onto six, including the brain part, which is like them themselves, these creatures, are like octopus. Um... And then they just, like, slide into the head of whatever it is that they're taking over, and then that's how they take it over. Um, and so he, they, he, like, took out the octopus head part and stabbed that onto a stake, too, and it's not quite dead. And it's standing there going, please, you know, it's like, it's really dark, honestly. So the human, uh, they call him Helpless. His name is Helpless. He takes out all of them but two. He even takes out the director when he remembers that the director made him and then pretty much abandoned him. So in the end, unfortunately, the general does get helpless, um, and so who knows what's going to happen next in issue three, but I am excited to find out. Talking TV and movies, we're going to start with what is new and noteworthy before we get into news and announcements, of which I have those one big DC kind of topic and then the one big Marvel announcement, um, and then we'll talk some anime news as well as current events and then we'll talk a tiny bit about the bad batch season two um as for new and noteworthy there's a couple of points legions of superheroes animated dc movie is 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 available for you know rent and purchase and all that and streaming on hbo max uh, Shrinking on Apple TV Plus is one that I started last week and was very surprised that I actually am wild into. Um, it is uh, Jason Segal is what his name is, I think, right? From How I Met Your Mother. Um, who I have extremely low expectations for, for whatever reason, probably because of that show. Um, <laughs> people are going to be mad. Um and Harrison Ford is in it for some reason. A couple of the people who you'd recognize. Absolutely great. Really, really good. Um, wasn't expecting that. But yeah, shrinking on Apple TV or TV Plus, whatever they call themselves. Uh, on other services, we had Kunk on Earth, which was Netflix. I don't have the words. Um, they, I, I had heard about it. I'd seen a couple of clips and I was like, oh, that's hilarious. But I really, really was concerned that this was going to be like overdone a bit too much, a bit under this, like there's a line of smart humor and less smart, like just stupid humor, too much on the stupid humor side. Um, it was perfect. It was great. It was exactly what I wanted. Um, I didn't even know that I wanted it before, but it was. Really fantastic. I can't recommend that enough. If you want to laugh more than you expect, watch Kunk on Earth on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, 
and events of the past week. Boy, that plan of theirs about the uh, capitalism and password sharing certainly didn't work out the way that they hoped, did it? <laughs> um, also, National Treasure, Edge of History, the finale premiered yesterday. I just watched it this morning as I woke up, because I, you know, it's how I do things, I guess. Um, and that was really good. I really enjoyed that. I know that people probably think it's stupid that I watched that, but it's fun, and I enjoyed it because I like history, because I'm a dork. Um, yeah, really good. Um, and what's her name who played the villain is still, like, fantastic in everything she could possibly do. Um, all the young kid actors who were premiering, I'm sure, were in their first or second projects were all really great. Um... I think they did a great job. Definitely pulled at the emotional heartstrings a little bit at the end there a few times in a good way. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I, I recommend uh, National Treasure Edge of History if you're looking for a fun uh, TV show and you have access to wherever that streams, which is really Disney+. Plus. Uh, I believe it was Monday, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did premiere uh, in Hollywood. It has mostly good reviews, I think, <laughs> and it's coming out, I want to say, a week from today. Um, so if you want to get tickets for that, they've obviously been out for a while now. I don't know if we're going to go see it in theaters or not. I'm sure we'll see it at some point. Probably not on opening night. I'm, I'm, I'm very... I'm a little bit burnt out on the MCU right now. Um, so I'll watch it when I watch it, and I'll cover it when I after I watch it. So there we go. Um, Harley Quinn season three, episode 11 premiered today as a special. Um, it is Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special is the title of it. And it premiered today. Apparently I have not watched it, but I will be doing so probably right after this episode. And that brings us to announcement, which is really just kind of news and talking points. So the first thing, um, is really strange here. I'll uh, pull it up here. I've got the IGN article. Basically, um, James Gunn has been saying that Flashpoint is going to reset the DCU and Aquaman 2 will lead into Superman. Let's, let's pull up the whole quote here. What he says is, I think that we've gotten very lucky with the next four movies, frankly, because we have Shazam, which leads into Flash, Shazam 2, obviously, which resets everything, which then goes into Blue Beetle, which is totally disconnected. He can totally be a part of the DCU. That goes into Aquaman, which leads into Superman, our first big project. What? I'm sorry, what? How does any of that make sense? What this sounds like is backpedaling. Um, backpedaling that they're wiping everything away. No, no, we're not wiping it away. We're just resetting stuff. It still happened. Like, dude, no, what? <laughs> this just sounds really bad. How could Shazam 2 lead into The Flash have that reset anything and then it's gonna go into Blue Beetle but not be connected to it? And then go into Aquaman somehow, which is it's still not connected to Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle is still going to go into Aquaman somehow, which is going to connect Superman, their first project. Aquaman's coming out later this year. They got two years on Superman. You, there's a lot of gaps in question marks in all this. Just, just a lot of like. <laughs> Okay. Um, and it really doesn't make me feel any better that they then continue Sephiroth and Gunn, then continue to talk about how the DCU is going to be 
focusing on one universe within the multiverse and it's all going to be connected and blah blah blah. I just, I still, that just, that just still does not seem like what we need. We just need things to be good. <laughs> are we focusing on quality enough or are we focusing on connectivity? Is it, I, I, it doesn't make me feel very good. All of these quotes from James Gunn, they, they really don't make me feel too great. Um, and it does feel a lot like backpedaling and trying to make everybody happy with just bullshit that you're spewing, you know? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But on the Marvel side of things, just today it was announced, uh, I believe it is a Variety article that I have here, that there is going to be a Spider-Man Noir live-action series, which is currently in the works uh, at Amazon. Um, totally left field here. Well, I guess it's not totally left field. I did completely forget that Amazon is also moving forward with the series Silk Spider Society, which does have a female Asian showrunner. Um, and it, apparently there are supposed to be several other shows in the works as well that are associated with Marvel characters. There is no reason to think that any of this would be connected to the MCU, so don't even worry about any of that convolutedness connecting it together. Um, and obviously, doing a Spider-Man noir live-action series, no matter who is behind the mask, if they know what they're doing, they will get Nick Cage to voice that bastard. There's obviously no one else who can do it, right? It's It's gotta be Nick Cage. It says that, a man named Oren Uziel will serve as writer and executive producer on Spider-Man War, which is going to be a show. Uh, he developed the show along with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse producers Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and former Sony boss Amy Pascal, which is all a very interesting mix of people, if you ask me. Um, he also says about Uziel, which I'm probably saying wrong, he most recently worked on the screenplay for the romantic comedy feature The Lost City, starring Ta Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. I'm not gonna lie, that was absolutely hilarious. Apparently he also wrote 22 Jump Street and 2021's Mortal Kombat, as well as The Cloverfield Paradox. To be honest, I'm a fan of all of those movies. Um, he's worked on scripts for John Wick 4 and Borderlands based on the video game. I didn't even know there was a Borderlands project in the works, so that's fun, I guess. I will have the Variety article linked in the description, or not in the description, but in my podcast notes, which are linked in the description, um, and so you can check out the rest of what they have to say there. It's just a little bit of explanation about the Spider-Man noir character um, and stuff like that. Unknown if uh, this would be connected to the Spider-Verse movies, the animated ones that they're currently doing, but um, that would be cool. That would be cool. Um... I am not entirely sure how the rights all kind of settle with that uh, between Amazon and Sony and Marvel and who the hell knows else, honestly, at this point in life. Um, not sure how the rights would work with that, if it could be connected or if it couldn't be. Whatever the case may be, um, I think this is potential for a really cool show. And if they're putting out a couple of other, uh, you know, vague spider-themed shows for Marvel fans at the same time that are all live-action, they could potentially grow themselves a nice little spider spider kingdom, you know? Um, Amazon's already done a great job with a couple of projects that are very relevant in pop culture, so we'll wait and see what happens with this one. 
anime news and general discussion. So the first thing uh, most popular, obviously, is going to be Demon Slayer Season 3, the Swordsmith Village arc. It's going to be starting April 2023. It's actually going to kick off with a one-hour special episode rather than the standard 22-minute runtime. Um, the Season 3's first episode is also going to air as part of a special global theatrical screening event. Um, similar to what they did, I guess, with the Mugen Train situation. It's going to include episodes 10 and 11 of season two, so stuff that we've already seen. Uh, the details of those, you're going to have screenings in Los Angeles on February 18th. Um, they're going to have screenings at over 1,700 theaters on March 3rd across the U.S. and Canada. In Paris, February 25th, Berlin, the 26th, Mexico City, March 4th, in Seoul, March 11th, and Taipei, March 19th. So season three is at most only two months away for all of us, so that's really exciting. Please don't go see the movie and then spoil it for people who are waiting for the show uh, at home, <laughs> please. There has been a lot, a lot of new stuff premiering on Crunchyroll in the past week. Uh, most of it, pretty much all of it, has just been uh, subtitled in English, which I have a hard time with because I have ADD or something and tend to get distracted. Um, new English dubs, in general, have not been uploaded in the past, like, two weeks, and I am losing my mind. I have not been able to watch any new animes, and that's why I have been looking for my next hidden gem. Uh, things that I've been watching in the meantime of between anime English dub episodes. I finished Kuma 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 Bear. I don't know why it's Kuma three times. Maybe you know. Tell me, please. I don't know. Um, really cute. That is probably the closest, or that's definitely the best on this list, in my opinion. Toradora, I am about two two-thirds through it. I have very little emotion about it, to be honest. Pretty Boy Detective Agency, I am just a few episodes in. It's pretty much like Oron High School Host Club, except somehow even more extra. Um, there is also, and you thought there is just a never, there is never a girl online. I just started. Seems like it has potential. We'll see. I also tried out a few episodes of How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift. It's really fun, but the weight shame issues are a bit much for me. <laughs> Sword Art Online, I have, I started, I like the first season of it, but then it lost so much momentum in the second season, and I realized that there is so much of it, and I suddenly don't feel the desire to watch it back-to-back -back like that. I'll watch it when I'm bored, I guess. So I also tried out Dog and Scissors. Uh, my notes here just say, um, because... Yeah. And then there's Anime Guitarist, uh, which is, I guess, like six and a half out of ten in me actually being interested in it. I feel like there's just something missing. The best thing about it, though, honestly, is the animation and the color scheme. Friggin' amazing! I love it! Feed it to me! Uh, I also started Arifureta, which I'm sure I said wrong, from Commonplace to World's Strongest. Um, it feels whack generic. Like, generic and cringe. I, I, I don't think I like it very much. But it has amazing reviews, so go figure. Uh, and my, so my overall thoughts on these shows that I've been searching out to find, The Next Hidden Gem, have not found The Next Hidden Gem yet. Kuma 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 Bear is the closest for sure. It was genuinely good. Um, a lot of these, I feel like, have good parts to them. 
and good moments, but in general are extremely fine. But that's okay, I guess. Oh, not in anime news, but I just remembered. Um, Disney Dreamlight Valley. <laughs> we have a date for the update. It is February 16th. It is a week away from today, where I am recording this. Um, so let's be honest, I'll probably not have an episode up next Thursday. It will probably have to be Wednesday, because Thursday I will 100% be glued to that game. And finally, to wrap up the episode, just a few notes on what I've seen of season two of The Bad Batch. I'm still a few episodes behind, but um, there is no, as far as I remember, there's no, um, you know, the outlier, the guy who, like, saved them in the end and then, like, refused to go with them. Whatever the hell his name was. There's no him. No him yet. Uh, Omega has obviously grown up a little bit. Um, she's gotten a lot better with her, like, bow staff thing, whatever you call that. Uh, but then, but then, but then, but then, whatever that episode I watched last, with the, the robotic horse thing, with the lasers, what was that? Oh my lord, that was amazing, truly, wow. That was the kind of moment that you want to have in your Star Wars properties. I don't care if you're doing animated or live action or a show or a movie, that wow factor that blowing your mind this this robotic horse thing that shoots lasers out in front of it like comes out of the dirt and it's possibly ancient but maybe not like whoa what like wow that was that was a great star wars moment um obviously this had something to do it had to have something to do with palpatine coming and either seeing this thing and using that as an idea for the death star or having this be as like this is the first thing that they did that was like the baby Death Star, you know, because it shoots the lasers out of its head, but then it kills a couple of sad little animals, which is kind of sad. But wow, I want more of that, specifically that that wow factor, that 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 Star Wars thing that Star Wars can do to us that makes us go, wow, I like that. Please give me more. And that's really all I have to say about the Bad Batch so far. Um, it's good. I mean, it's a good show. Watch it if you're into Star Wars and, you know, if you watch The Clone Wars, you'll like this. So definitely get into it. And that wraps up today's episode uh, of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Next week's will, as I said a little bit ago, probably be out on Wednesday because Thursday is the Disney Dreamlight Valley update. So basically, if it's not uploaded by Thursday morning, don't expect one next week i guess maybe friday maybe friday but with any luck i'll have it done wednesday um yeah i think this went pretty well let me know what you thought about the tarot studies this week if there's anything that i should change or add or you know anything like that uh same with like all the other topics that we're kind of adding and doing more about let me know what you think about all those so that i'm not you know stabbing myself in the back and not realizing it in any case, have a great rest of your week, um, or the next week, I guess. Valentine's Day is going to be, by the time the next episode comes out, it will have come and gone. Um, we're not going to talk about Lupercalia here because there's a lot of stuff that that gets into, but um, happy Valentine's Day, I suppose. That's my wedding anniversary, which is a whole story that we can get into next week if you're interested. In the meantime, have a good week. Don't be an asshole and get sweaty about the things you love without shame. Goodbye.